Good to see you, church. We're so glad that you have joined us today for our service. Uh, we are starting a brand new series called God Said What? And I know that almost sounds like slang, and it probably is. But we're going to be talking about uh, many of the different misconceptions um, about things that God has said in Scripture and are loosely based maybe off Scripture. And we're going to be starting that series today. Uh, and the message today is actually titled, uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Um, is that basically a true statement? So if you will, turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. And while you're turning in your Bible to, uh, to that uh, verse, I'm going to go ahead and read our New City Catechism for today. We're on week 16. The question is, what is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world He created, rebelling against Him by living without reference to Him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. Now, that's a powerful definition of sin, and that plays off of 1 John chapter uh, 3, and, and where it talks about what sin is, that sin is lawlessness in verse 4 of chapter 3. And, uh, and so we, we talk about this morning, something that I believe affects a lot of people is misrepresenting God's word in a Misrepresenting God's words is another way of saying you're misrepresenting God. And I don't think people intentionally do it. Some people do, sadly. But I don't think many, especially Christians, do that. But I just believe that we need to know God's word. We need to know the context of the scripture. We need to know who God is speaking to and if the principle applies to all people um, so that we can then apply God's word to our lives and God's promises to our lives and so that we might live in light of them. The series really was kind of birthed out of the idea that a lot of people say things that are just simply not true, but they say that the Bible or God said so. And, and so it's kind of like, well, let's throw some of those up. And I did a little questionnaire kind of deal on social media a few months back, and I literally had tons of people responding to me saying, I've heard that before. And some of the questions are, you know, God can, God will never give you more than you can handle, or God wants me to be happy. Uh, we're all God's children. Money's the root of all evil. Only God can judge me. How many tattoos we got out there this morning? Throw your hand up, right? <laughs> got, got a lot of those out there. Um, you know, when you die, God gains another angel. I see that a lot of times. Um, I know that that's probably more of a, a sentimental kind of thing to say, but we need to ask today is why do people say things that aren't necessarily in the Bible, aren't necessarily true? Because I believe that the intention of most people is good. I believe that the intentionality behind most people saying something is to bring someone comfort. For instance, like God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, where do you find that in scripture? I'll give you a moment if you want to kind of look in your Bible. And for the Bible students who are out there, you're probably thinking, well, I've heard something similar to that before. And, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And Paul is warning the Corinthian church in that first letter to them. He's warning them against idolatry. And he tells them this. Uh, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Which means there's nothing that's coming in your direction that is unusual from what other people experience in temptation it says but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it okay do you, now do you hear what it's saying right here it says this God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability it does not say in any form or fashion that God will not allow or send more than you can handle in your direction 
It goes on to say, with every temptation, God provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what does this all mean? It means this. When you sin, when I sin, I can never, ever say, well, I got an excuse for my sin and this is why I did it and this is why it's okay." There is never an opportunity for anyone to say, this is my excuse for sinning. No, own your sin. Be a man. Be a woman. Repent of your sin. Turn and get restore your relationship with the Lord. It means that we can't excuse our actions. We can't blame God for our sins. And it also means that we have a way out of the temptation if we trust in God, follow God. There's never a time that we get to blame God for our sin that we commit in our lives. But how could something like saying, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle, be destructive rather than helpful? I mean, can't that just be like, Josh, you're nitpicking? You're kind of pulling apart. You know, people have great intentions by this. But I want to tell you this right now. When someone becomes crushed under the weight of adversity or under the weight of affliction, uh, they do not need to look inward for their help. They need to look Godward. They need to look towards Christ for their help. And when you tell someone that, guess what? God's never going to send anything your way that's ever going to crush you, burden you, cause you to be fully depressed and unable to even respond to it, that you'll always have a way that you can do something about it. You're setting them up for failure. And here's what I'd like to say. As Christians, may we never use conventional worldly wisdom as a substitute for biblical truth. As Christians, may we never use worldly conventional wisdom, which is no wisdom at all. God is the definition of truth. And when you say something that is not true or is only a partial truth, the truth will do what? It will set you free. So if we're living in partial truths or half truth, then that means they're not true at all, which means we're not living in the freedom that Christ has called us to, according to Galatians 5.1. And so I would encourage you when you tell people and exhort people about what God said, let's make sure that God said it. God does, let me say this to you this morning, God does and will give you more than you can handle. And this is his gracious way of revealing to us our true need. You ready for it? This is God's way of loving you so much, loving me so much, giving me exactly what I need. And what is our greatest need? What is it? It's himself. When we recognize our frailty, our weakness, our inability that causes us to hopefully, humbly submit ourselves to God and depend completely and totally on Him. And that's where I go this morning in the text to see what does the Bible actually say. Now, there are a million stories I could have chosen to say, here's an example of someone who was just crushed under the weight. And if God didn't deliver them, there would have been no way out. But what I wanted to show you was a man who was rock solid faith, hardcore missionary Paul himself speaking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. And he starts this off as a form of a doxology or even a eulogy of praise to God, but he goes on to tell them why he's received this comfort and how we can receive the comfort of God in our times of affliction trial. But it's not just for us to receive, it's also for us then to give to others who are going through suffering so that they might experience the comfort of God which we have received. So if you're with me this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the, Father, the Father's Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves com are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, 
It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you're experiencing when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, unshaken. For you know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comforts. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly, this is the verse right here, verse 8 and 9. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the death sentence. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayer of many. And that's the word of the Lord this morning. Uh, when we look here at this text, it's, it's pretty amazing because he's saying we've received comfort from God and he's the God of what mercies? He's the God of comfort. We've received it so that we might be able to then share that same comfort that we've experienced. He says, but this is how I learned about the comfort of God. This is how I experienced the comfort of God personally. It's not secondhand knowledge. It's not reading about it, even maybe in the Word of God. No, I've experienced in what I've gone through that God's comfort, that me depending upon God is more than enough, and He did deliver me, and He will deliver me, and therefore you can have comfort as well as give comfort to other people. So this is where we start this morning. If you're taking down notes with me today, God does and will give us more than we can handle in this life. God does and will give us more than we can handle in this life. And if you say something along this line, whoa, 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 well, the God I serve does not give me more than I can handle. I tell you that right now. Well, let me say something back. You do not serve the God of the Bible. You're serving some form of an idol and you've made God into some form of your own image who won't give you more than you can handle. Listen, God loves you so much that he will not leave you in your sin and content with your abilities because my abilities and your abilities, we've missed the mark. We need Christ Jesus. We need salvation. We need healing and only God can bring it. See, the Bible tells us the way that we are to approach and to understand trials and suffering and afflictions. It tells us in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is not a call to masticism. This is not a call to... I like getting hurt. I like pain. Our pain is weakness leaving the... But that's not what this is. This is not some bad slogan about, you know what? It's really good to be in pain. It's really great to have evil things happen to you. That is not what this is saying, nor does God in any place in Scripture ever declare that. God calls evil what it is, evil. God declares that He's doing something about that through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is a call to see the bigger picture of what trials produce when we depend on God for our strength, comfort, and joy. I don't know if you see that, but we will be complete. We'll be perfected because it causes us to be steadfast. Steadfast in what? It means that we are anchored in Christ Jesus, depending completely and wholly upon Him. You know, probably a hundred years ago in every probably century beforehand, The civilization as a whole, mankind as a whole, we expected pain and suffering. 
Uh, the, 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 the birth rate for many of the children who were going to die at birth was extremely high 100 plus years ago. I mean, it was expected that bad things would occur, suffering would occur. But today in the age in which we live in, we are probably the least prepared generation culture that there has ever been when it comes to suffering. I mean, honestly, we are a sue everyone culture when it comes right down to it, doesn't it? Because we believe that something wrong has happened to us. And because something is wrong has happened to us, it cannot possibly be our fault. It has to be someone else's fault. So we got to sue somebody, right? I mean, that's where, uh, what is it, Gordon McKernan and Morris Bart. I mean, any of y'all know them? If you live in Louisiana and you're watching this, then you absolutely know what I'm talking about. They own almost every other billboard and something along the lines of, you deserve just payment. You need to demand it. You need to get it because they obviously know what just payment is going to be for your car accident or whatever it is that you happened. Uh, we need to see that we are least prepared mainly because we don't understand. It's like, how could anything bad happen to us? That should be impossible. And the scriptures tell us that it's going to happen. Our Savior is a suffering Savior and we are people of Jesus Christ. And it says just as He suffered, we're going to suffer. If He was persecuted, so will we be persecuted. Philippians 1.28 says it this way. You have not only been included in the salvation of the Lord, but you've also been given the privilege of joining Him in suffering. I mean, I don't know if you've read that lately, but He says you've gotten the privilege of joining in salvation and the privilege of what? Suffering with Christ. That is a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the message heard in many popular churches today, and many of you who watch other church services, for the most part, you're only going to watch the more popular ones, right? And most of the popular ones are telling you what? You should be healthy, wealthy, and happy. If God really loves you, and you're really serving Him, and you're really praying to Him, and really depending upon Him, you might have a few hiccups. You might have a few bumps in the road. But you're never going to have anything too traumatic and too tremendous that happens in your life. And I want to tell you, Paul's life is a testimony that God's favorites sometimes go through the hardest time period. And that's what he was arguing about, by the way. In 2 Corinthians, part of his argument is to some of those in the Corinthian church who were sneaking in, were basically saying, if he was a real apostle, if he was really God's man, do you think all these bad things would happen to him? And what he goes on to say, chapter 11 talks about being beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and in hunger and in cold and in nakedness and in peril. He names off all these things. and He says, this is not to my shame. This is to the glory of God. This is confirmation that I am God's man and God's using me just as he's using other true apostles. So I want to say this to you in a world that's filled with services that probably stream in most cases that sound more like Oprah Winfrey or Tony Robbins, short of the cussing that Tony would give you and short of the spiritualism that Oprah would give you. That is not the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is not look inward and it's all inside of you and you're the David and all the Goliaths out there just sling your stone. You're going to smoke him in the head. David is really a picture of Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, then that is the victory. It's not you and what you're capable of doing. Abide in Christ. And if He abides in you, then you will do what? I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. You'll produce much fruit to the glory of God the Father. The gospel does not point us inward. It points us Godward. 
The gospel is a call to flee from self-reliance and to run to the cross. Remember, this is the same apostle Paul who wrote some five years, roughly five or so years later, while he's in prison writing to the Philippians, when he writes that line, Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is the same apostle who wrote that, and yet he's telling us in verse 8 and 9, I felt like I was going to die. It's like Final Destination before the movie ever came out. Paul's like the death angel was on my back tail and it was not a matter of if, it was a matter of when I was going to die. Like it was so bad. And what this caused him to do is what I believe God would seek to cause us to do. And this is why the title of the message, God will never give you more than you can handle with a question mark. That simply is not what the word of God declares. Because... It is not self-reliance that God is calling you to. It's reliance upon His Son, Jesus Christ, unto salvation so that you might live in the power of the Spirit of God who comes into those who have received Christ Jesus. The same power that He brings up, that's our hope, is the resurrection from the dead. Remember that this is the same apostle who was able to say these powerful words and yet he is doing what? He is having himself stripped of all self-reliance. Because Paul... From what we understand in history, he wasn't like a big man. But I tell you this, he was an intelligent man. Super intellect. He he was a very capable person. He was a person of great means and great experience. And he also was a Roman citizen. And yet God was stripping all of this away from him so that he would utterly and fully depend upon God himself, which made him, you ready for it? Whole message today. Made him usable. And made him very much so practical for the rest of us some 2,000 years now reading this text and recognizing it is not about what I bring to the table. It's what about Jesus has done. It's what God is doing in and through my life. It's not about me. See, this is the beautiful thing about our current situation. I hate the coronavirus or COVID-19 or whatever it is that you want to call this thing. But doesn't it kind of amaze you to think about that all of the world's superpowers are now brought to basically a steal, a standstill. They're not able to by power or by money or by intellectual ingenuity. No one's able to just say, you know what? I'm sick of this virus happening. We're done with it. Let's get back to everything. They're not able to do that. And I believe, just as God has done it throughout history, I believe this is God shouting to us, as He's done before many, many, many times, you are mortal. You, me, we're mortal and we're frail. Turn to God and so be healed. There there is a silver lining in this whole virus. There is a silver lining in this whole pandemic. Even on Easter Sunday, just just a week ago, There was a powerful storm system that came through and tornadoes touched down in multiple states and even some people died from it. Even locally, just a few miles from the church here on Highway 5 in Gloucester, you can go and see where it used to appear to be a house and the only reason you know that there was a house there is because part of the porch is still there, but there's nothing. Just trash and debris scattered with trees ripped up left and right. And I believe that God is telling us that, listen, you are not in control. You need me far more than you know, and God would be doing us such a disservice, though we deserve it, such a disservice if He left me in my sin content about my life just so that I can make a few dollars so I can live a few years on earth and never know the One who created me. God loves you more than that. 
Therefore, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he loves you so much that he will not allow you or me to be content in this life with a bunch of trinkets. He would much rather that we would know him. And if pain is how he must speak to us, then so be it. And therefore, we can praise him even in the midst of affliction for God is good because he wants us and he reveals himself to us. What if God intentionally gives you more in life than you could possibly handle so that you might turn to him? What if? What if God gives you more than you can handle? What then should we say that this produces in us? And this is the second point. Our human frailty, if you're taking it down with me, our human frailty leads us to become fully dependent upon God. And that's exactly what in 9, the second half of verse 9, this is what Paul says. He says, but all these bad things are happening. I'm crushed. I'm depressed. I'm perplexed. All these things, but... That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Our human frailty leads us to become fully dependent upon God. When you suffer, you really have two choices. And I know that you might say, well, i got a lot of choices. Okay, well, you really have two choices of the mind and of the heart. Choice number one is this, trust in, depend on, and find comfort in God. Trust in, depend on, and find comfort in God. Or the second choice is this, or curse God and become spiritually hardened. And that hardened aspect of your life will only become more and more hard unless you return and repent. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. Sin has messed us up. I don't know how else to explain it. We've missed the mark. Sin has caused us, idolatry has caused us to think much greater than we should of ourselves in a much lower vision of who God is. And that's completely backwards read romans chapter 1 verse 18 through 32 just to get a good idea of how messed up we are in our thinking and that's why romans 12 1 our minds must be renewed by the word of god and that's what we need every day by the power of the spirit of god can i get an amen this morning i'm telling you we got to think through these things we literally think we are invincible and we're 10 foot tall. It's like the guy that sits behind his little computer desk or whatever that may be, speaking some really stupid and nasty things on social media at someone else when they would never in a million years say that to that person to their face. And yet they are what? 10 foot tall and bulletproof as long as it's not a real person while I'm behind this screen. You see, here's the deal. We don't need God until it becomes obvious that we need God. We say that we don't need God until it becomes obvious that we need God. I was reading an article earlier today about Daniel. His name's Daniel Ritchie, and he was born without arms. And he's, he said that he suffered ridicule and mockery and being sneered at and looked at his entire life because he doesn't look like everybody else. But he, he said this, and this is where we got to begin to think about how we're going to respond to affliction, to trial, to tribulation. He, he says it this way, our pain gives us a platform. The question becomes then, what am I going to say to the world in the midst of my pain? Do I let my faith become the product of my circumstances? Or is God still good even if my circumstances are not? The scope of His character and grace do not change when suffering comes. That's powerful. What am I going to say? What are the words that are going to come out of my mouth 
And what are the actions that are going to be shown forth and expressed through my life? What am I telling the people around me? Because believe me this, they are watching. People are watching and people are waiting and they're looking. How do you respond? Because it's easy to respond in a really pretty and perfect manner as long as things are going good for you. But when things are difficult and when things come down and the weight is pressing, can you still praise? Even in the midst of your tears, can you still say, the Lord is good and he's faithful to those who call upon his name? What are we going to say when we go through pain? C.S. Lewis said it this way about pain being a a megaphone to a deaf world. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is a wake-up call. And I want to begin to look at, so what are some of the things that we should be finding as Christians? What are some of the things that we should be experiencing if we're going through affliction, if we're going through trial, if God truly does give us more than we can handle so that it might cause us to depend on Him? What are some of the things that we should notice? And here's, i got about six of them down. There's probably way more, but I want to go through them pretty fast. Number one is it strips us of all superficial self-reliance. We talked about this already. It strips us of this, I can do anything, I'm Superman or I'm Superwoman and i got it all together. We don't have it all together. And the sooner you can admit that and the sooner you can just trust in God and rest in what Jesus has done, you're going to be a lot happier. You're going to be a lot happier because you won't be trying to earn your salvation. You won't always be looking to other people to give you a praise appraisal. You'll be able to look to God who sees you as a son or a daughter of himself. And therefore, we have all that we need. But secondly, it's this. It creates in us a greater and greater dependence upon God. I don't know about you, but when things go bad for me or when I'm in physical pain or when I'm just going through a really rough season and my prayer life automatically just goes up. Um, There's many times in my own life, sadly, that honestly, my prayer life doesn't look like it should look. My engagement with God doesn't really look like it should look. But man, when things are going bad, I'm praying. I'm seeking God's face. I mean, we got somebody in our church right now who is who is is sick and man, they need God's healing hand. And that has caused me to just spend more and more time just interceding on their behalf, saying, Lord, God, hear me, heal them. Thirdly, our dependence upon God frees us of self-absorption and arrogance and allows us to grow spiritually. I think this is awesome because Paul brings the same stuff up in chapter 12 of this same epistle. He says that a messenger of Satan was given to him. To do what? He said it was a thorn in his flesh. He said it was something bad. He didn't say specifically what it was, but he said it was bad and he prayed three times. Lord, heal me is basically his prayer. And he says, though, that the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for I am strong or I am powerful when you are weak. Now, I want you to think about this. He says that this kept him from becoming conceited. This kept him from becoming conceited about this magnificent revelation that he had. This kept him, and he thought this was going to be a hindrance to his ministry, and yet God was saying, I'm going to use you in a much more powerful way than you could possibly have ever imagined. Trust in me, for my power works best in weakness and through weakness. Number four, though, is this. Our spiritual growth leads to boasting in our weakness. Again, this goes right back to what I was saying a moment ago. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 But he said to me, and this is the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, "Okay, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. No one likes to be weak. Nobody. We don't like to be weak primarily because we don't like to be put in a position to have to ask other people favors so that we end up feeling as though we owe somebody something. And God's over here telling you, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't even be breathing the breath that you have right now. If it wasn't for me, the sun wouldn't shine. Nothing would exist. God created it all and sustains it all. We owe our lives to him. Paul says, I'll rejoice then. I'll rejoice in my weaknesses because God is working powerfully through me because what happens when we become weak, we turn to God. Now listen, you can turn in all other places, but I want to promise you this. There is no other place that has the power that God has. There is no other person that can fill the role that only God can fill. You are created to know Him. You are created to experience Him. You are created to learn and to grow in connection with Him. Fifth is another way of looking at it. All trials and afflictions prepare us for an eternal way to glory that's beyond all compare. And this is in chapter 4 of the same letter. He says, so we don't lose hearts. Though our outer self is wasting away, our bodies, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient and the things that are unseen are eternal. So what is this saying? There's nothing to compare to what is yet ahead for us who believe, who trust in Him, it's not even worthy. We talked a little bit about that last week. And lastly here, one of the things that suffering does for us, afflictions does for us, when all things are considered, this should produce joy even in the midst of suffering. You're like, but I'm just to rejoice in bad things happening to me? No. No, I didn't say that at all. But it says in James 1, 2, Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you go through various kinds of trials because of what it produces. Remember this, God is working in and through you. God has a far bigger plan than just your temporal happiness here and now on this planet. God is redeeming us, sanctifying us, and preparing us for complete and total transient communion with him in the new heavens and new earth. And this is the promise that we hold on when we go through bad times, when we go through afflictions, when things are unjust, when things are evil. This is the verse that we hold on to, which plays off of all this. Romans 8, 28. And we know we're not guessing. We're not wishful thinking. We're not being super optimistic. We're not positive mind thinking and all that. And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So now that we see these things, what affliction brings that God will give us more than we can handle so that it causes us to depend completely upon him. Now it brings us full circle right back to verse three where Paul starts with. And this is my third and closing point. Our heavenly father is merciful and gives comfort to all who seek it. You see, a lot of you may be watching, you're saying, man, but I've gone through a lot. And some of you are even sitting right now and you're saying, man, but I'm going through a lot. I've I've experienced a lot. 
things are not easy right now for me whatsoever. I, I don't know how to just find this magical joy that you're talking about. And I'm not saying that it's easy. But when you begin to trust in the Lord, when we begin to pray to the Lord, it says that we can experience a peace that surpasses understanding, which means we can't logically add 2 plus 2 equals 4. It means that God is beginning to do a work first and foremost in our hearts. And then from there, it begins to be an effect throughout all of the things that we see and all the things that we do. I want to say this about your why questions to God, because I know a lot of you got them and I got some of my own. Who God is and the nature of God and what Jesus did on the cross is far greater than any why I could ever ask. Who God is and the character of God and what Jesus did on the cross is far greater than any of the whys that I have ever to ask. He has proved, he has shown, he has displayed his love for me and for the entire world by sending his son Jesus. And if there was ever a person that unjustly suffered or experienced affliction, that is Jesus Christ himself, who was perfect without spot, without sin. You see, we need to recognize what God says in Lamentation 3, 21 through 23 through the prophet Jeremiah. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's good. God's faithfulness is good. See, Paul knew this firsthand. There's a lot of us who hear about other people's stories or we read about things in the scriptures and we, we've really never gone through them. And, and I want to say there's, there's at times when you have those aha moments where you're like, God's word, oh my, it's, it's true. I knew it was true, but now I've experienced it to be true. God's word, your word proves to be true. Every single word. And that's exactly where Paul starts us out. Verse three and four, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions. Paul is not just talking about some theoretical, some thing that maybe makes sense and can kind of be like a good word to get you through a rough season. No, Paul's saying, I've experienced it. I was so pressed down. I was so crushed. I was so overwhelmed. I felt like I was going to die. And the God of comfort and the God of mercy saw me through. Paul learned to depend upon God. Because of the afflictions that he experienced. Paul learned to depend upon God. And, and Paul loved the Lord. But his dependence upon God became that much greater when he recognized that he was at the end of his rope. He had nothing else to add to the equation. And he simply cried out to the Lord. And it says that the Lord delivered him. There's many Psalms exactly like that where they're at the end of their rope. They cry out to the Lord. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. See, the wonderful thing about God is this. Nothing's wasted. Not a single tear is wasted. It says in Psalms 56 that your tears are bottled. I mean, this, this is one of those things where like when you go through suffering, when you go through trial, like there's not a single thing that is wasted because it's not just for what's happening to you. It's how can you then, after you experience the comfort that only God can give, how can you then bring comfort to someone else? This world's bigger than, than just me. At my worst moments, it's all about me. At my best moments, I have concern, I have compassion, I have empathy for other people and what they're going through. And I want to tell you this, 
God is the God of comfort and the God of mercies. And he gives you that comfort and provides you with those mercies so that you might be a conduit to pour that out on others so that you might love others as you love yourself. I close with this verse, Psalms 121, verse 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where does your help come from? Who have you been looking to to provide for your needs? What may be wrong or misunderstanding have you maybe bought into that? No, it's I look to myself. God told me he's never going to give me more than I can handle. I look to myself. No. We're reading it here and there's a million other examples here. Who do you look to in your time of need? Who do you depend on in your time of affliction, your time of trial? Who is it that you call Lord, Savior, Healer? Who is it that gives you your salvation? I believe his name is Jesus. For any of those who would call upon his name, that you would be saved. That is something today that is available to you, no matter where you're watching this from, is salvation comes only by the name of Jesus Christ. By calling upon his name, by repenting of your sin and trusting in him. By saying, no longer it's not going to be me depending on me. I fully recognize I can't do it. The problem isn't so much with the rest of the world, though that is a problem. Honestly, you want to know the real problem? The problem's me. And the problem's you. Jesus is the antidote. Jesus is the answer. From where does your help come from? I pray that it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you that we can align ourselves with your word. And by aligning ourselves with your word that we can be set free because your truth is the only truth. There is no other truth, Father. You are truth. Your son is truth. The words that he speak are true. Therefore, Lord God, we pray right now that, Father, that you would set us free from any Uh, thoughts of ourselves being able to depend on our abilities, Father, that we might fully and wholly depend upon you, that we might, as Paul said, boast in our weaknesses, no matter what we face, no matter trial we encounter, Lord God, that we would boast in those weaknesses, knowing that your grace is more than sufficient. It's powerful and it's working in our lives today. Father, I pray that if anyone be out there today who is watching this, that is not called upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of their salvation. Father, may they leap with joy, calling upon the name of Jesus and receiving of the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you that you are the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. It is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray these things. Amen.